Anybody else enjoying summer yet? Oh, man. You know we live in paradise, right? Man, well, this side anyway. There's another paradise coming. It, it will be better, I promise. But this side, it's pretty good. This is pretty good. Have you got your Bibles with you? We want to invite you this morning. Open up to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to continue going through the Gospel of Matthew. It was, uh, was kind of neat this last week. Um, I kind of I stumbled as sometimes happens. Stumbled across. Uh, in 2006, Newsweek did a website article. And they asked people to send in their idea, their concept. Uh, who is Jesus? And um, I thought I'd share some of those with you guys as we begin taking a look at the beginning of Jesus' life. It says, one of them was, We don't know any historical facts concerning Jesus, but apparently he was a rabbi who was an example of compassion. Since then, he has been exploited by Christians, particularly Americans. Another said, Jesus is real in the sense that he exists for those who want him to exist. Another said, Jesus was one of a thousand Jews murdered by the Romans for threatening Roman rule. Another wrote, Jesus was every man. His name could have as well been Morris. Too bad he was in male form this time around. Better luck next time. Another said, even strict Christians consider Jesus the Son of God only in a symbolic way. Some said Jesus was an enlightened being. Another said, it's not even obvious that Jesus was a historical figure. If he was, the legends around him, a son of God who was born of a virgin, worked miracles and rose from the dead, were common stories in the ancient Near East. The myths about Jesus are not even original. Jesus is about as real as Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, or King Arthur. So who was Jesus? He was a highly moral person, much like Teresa of Calcutta. No less, no more. And some said, Jesus is the Son of God who was born, died, rose from the dead to save us from our sin. He lives today, and he will come to earth again. When we consider that, we realize that in our nation, the understanding of who Jesus is and, and is foundational to, to what you're going to do with the Lord. I mean, if we did a poll, you know, something like in the neighborhood of 70% say that they believe in Jesus. But what does that mean? What does that mean? You believe he existed? What does that mean? You, you believe he was a good guy? What, what, the, what do you mean when you say... I believe in Jesus. The scripture lays out for us, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To as many as believed on his name, Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, that God is salvation. Amen. And as we look at the, the scriptures today, we're going to see people who had an opportunity to decide who is Jesus to me. Well, what's true? What's not true? Does he matter to me or doesn't he matter to me? And we'll see that as we take a look in Matthew chapter 2. So join me. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now here's where our nativity gets us, huh? We have three wise men. Couldn't have been more than that because that's how many is on the Christmas card. <laughs> at this particular time, what I want you guys to hold on to, at this particular time in history, Roman historians were writing that there was this anxiousness throughout the land and people were looking that out of Judea would come a king of kings was all around the world. Suetonius wrote about it. Tacitus wrote about it. About this sense all around that something big was happening. Something incredible was going on. 
And I will tell you this, when we do a study of the book of Daniel, we discover that at the time of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar took the best and the brightest of Israel, and he brought them over to Babylon, and he mixed them among his wise men. His wise men. The title of his wise men was the Magi. Same word used here in Matthew chapter 2. For wise men, the Magi. And so Daniel, there in the wise men, we know that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Everybody remembers Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he gathers up his wise men and he says, Okay, if you guys are truly wise men, then this is what I want from you. You tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And so the wise men, the leader of the wise men said, Well, well, King Nebuchadnezzar, nobody's ever asked such a thing of anyone before. You tell us your dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. King Nebuchadnezzar said, that's easy. If you're really wise men, you tell me what I dreamed, and then you tell me the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's motivation, right? So, the wise guys there, they're, they're coming around one another, trying to come up with something, and ultimately they say, King, we can't do it. And so the king gives the order, slaughter all the magi. Kill them all. And when Daniel hears word of this, he sends word through the steward that was over Daniel to the king and says, wait a minute, don't be so hasty, for there is a God in heaven who reveals dreams and their meanings. So Daniel sought the Lord on high, and God gave him the dream and its meaning. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you went to bed one night and you were worried about how your kingdom was going to go. And you had a dream. And in this dream, you saw this giant statue and the head of gold and a chest of silver and a body and thighs of bronze and legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay. And as you wandered at this image, a stone from the heavens, not made by hands, came down and smashed and destroyed the statue at its feet ground it into powder and the wind blew it away and that stone grew into a mighty mountain that filled all the earth and nebuchadnezzar said wow yeah that's what i dream what's it mean and daniel said in essence jackie paraphrase there's going to be a succession of kingdoms beginning with you king nebuchadnezzar for you are the head of gold But you will pass away and another kingdom will come up, not quite as powerful as yours. The Medo-Persian, the Greek, the Roman, and then finally a a conglomeration of Roman nations that would be the, the, the ten nations symbolized by the ten toes and the feet of iron mixed with clay. But then the stone from heaven... That stone that the, that the builders rejected, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, he's going to come from heaven and destroy all those kingdoms and he'll set up his kingdom, which will last forever. So the king said to Daniel, you are the best of my magi. So you are going to be their captain. And Daniel became the head of that order. But we know Daniel didn't live forever, right? Daniel eventually went home to be with the Lord. And when Daniel went home to be with the Lord, we see this order begin to to shift and change. At one time, they had had a lot of Daniel's writings, Daniel's prophecy. The Old Testament, we know they had because Daniel read the Old Testament. So we know that they had copies of those things. But ultimately, they became what was known as Zoroastrianism. That's as close as I can come to saying it. So if I said it wrong, sorry. But uh, basically they, came, they became a pagan mixture of Judaism and this pagan stuff. And they really were focused in the stars. Watching the stars. Maybe because Daniel said in Numbers 24.17, there was a prophecy that said a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. I always love in the Old Testament, we look at the prophecies and we see God call Jacob by both his names. Because folks, every one of us has has two natures, right? We have a flesh and a spirit. And when we're walking in the flesh, we resemble Jacob. 
And when we're walking in the Spirit, we resemble Israel, which means governed by God. And as we look at this, as we see this, it says a star will come out of Jacob. That means the nation of Israel is going to be in a, in a, in a disobedient place. And truly, that's how they were, wasn't it? They're not walking with the Lord. In fact, they didn't care. The Lord was big business then. But then the scripture goes on to say, and a scepter will arise out of Israel. The king, a scepter, speaking of the king. Who would receive Jesus as king? Those who follow him. Those who are governed by God. Maybe they saw that prophecy and so they would utilize looking in the stars. We have no idea what the star was, but we know that the star brought the Magi, right? We know that the Magi came, it says in verse 1. In the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The Magi came. Now here's what the Magi became, guys, in history. Because they watched the stars and they did all this, this weird kind of stuff, because they did all that, whenever a king, especially in the area of Babylon, especially in Iran or where Iran and Iraq, Persia today, in all those places, when a king came to rule, the Magi came. They become known as those who would appoint kings. When they saw a king born, they would come and put their blessing on him. So I want you to think about this. Now, here we are in Jerusalem. You got this guy, Herod, who's not a Jew. He's an Edomite. He married a Jewish girl so that he could appease the Jews there in, in, in around Judea. But he didn't like her much. So he had her mother-in-law and her sister go to court against her and say that she had committed adultery. So they came down with a judgment that his wife had committed adultery, though she hadn't. And he killed her. And right then, the girl's mom said that the king is crazy and I need to rule. And so Herod killed her. And then Herod started looking at his sons and thinking, you know, you guys are just money-grubbing kids. coming to You always want gas money. You always want something. You're always coming to me. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to take care of these guys. He killed his sons. Caesar would say it was safer to be Herod's pig than one of his kids. This guy was who they were calling king of the Jews. But the Magi, perhaps through Daniel's teaching, looking at Daniel chapter 9, they would know 173,880 days from the proclamation to go and rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah to the day Jesus Christ would come in. They, they're knowing that they're nearing the time Messiah would be near. And they saw the star and they came. Now we don't know how long it took them. But it was a several hundred mile trip. We also know that they probably didn't ride camels. The Magi were looked upon as, as uh, the wealthy, the rich of the society within Persia that they came from. So they were probably on Arabian stallions. And they were not just coming three of them. The tradition is that there's three because there's three gifts. But the, if there were only three guys who walked into Herod and said, we've come to see the king of the Jews, Herod had just killed them. Why didn't Herod kill them? Because there was a bunch of people with them. When they traveled, they traveled with an armed consort, a guard that would go with them. In fact, verse 2 goes on to tell us, this is what they said. They said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? By the way, when's the last time you saw a king that was born a king? Most of them are born a prince, aren't they? And then when the king dies, they become a king. But these guys, the Magi, there was something special. They... The, the Old Testament prophecies, the things that were surrounding them, they're thinking, man, this, this could be the one, the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one Daniel the prophet spoke of. So they asked the question, where is he? They assume everybody in Israel must know about this for crying out loud. We're all the way out in Babylon, in Persia, and we know about it. So the people for whom he's come, surely they know, surely they are aware. So they ask the question, where is he who was born king of the Jews, Herod? Because Herod wasn't born king, he was made king. Where is that one that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Scripture is very clear. Who can receive worship? God. 
and God alone, right? Remember when Satan comes to Jesus, we'll read about it in a few verses, and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, all you have to do is worship me. And Jesus responded out of Deuteronomy by saying, it is written that you will worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So when these magi say, we want to worship him, they're making a proclamation. This is God in the flesh. Aren't you guys aware? Aren't you guys aware that God would reveal himself centuries down the line, maybe through the testimony of Daniel, to pagans, Gentiles? They would travel all this way, following a star, just with the hint that maybe at the end of that, they would come to find the promise, the truth about who Jesus is. You think about all the stuff they left? How much effort it was for them to go all this way? They asked the question of Herod. And it says in verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because every time Herod got troubled, people got killed. So when Herod was troubled, all Jerusalem was a little bit uptight. What's he going to do? Not only that, the Magi had come through town and they're the kingmakers. What's the kingmakers doing here? Are they getting rid of Herod? Are we going to get a new king? I mean, you can understand all the stuff going on in the background. All the things that people are saying. Herod is is greatly troubled. So he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes. And when we look at the chief priests and the scribes, let's understand the players. Chief priests were former high priests. What do you mean? A high priest was supposed to be high priest until he died. But King Herod didn't like the high priest. Sometimes the high priest come in and King Herod said, you know, I don't like you. So he kicked him out. And he appointed high priests. So the high priest's office at this time in Israel was no longer following the scripture. It was following the political ideals of a despot named, named King Herod. So whenever he fired a guy, they became chief priests, and another guy became the high priest. So certainly these are guys who ought to know what's going on. The scribes were those who would copy down the scriptures, but at this time in history, they had become the teachers. Not only of the Old Testament, but they had become the teachers of the commentaries on the Old Testament. Now folks, it's important that we realize the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's Word. Commentaries are written by man, and they're not inspired at all. But at this time in Israel, the commentaries meant more than the Word. In fact, sometimes the commentaries superseded the very Word of God. We see that in some cult circles even today. That these alternate writings have become greater and carry more weight than the Word of God. So, so Herod says, get them. Give me the chief priests. Give me the scribes. Let's find out. Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? <clears throat> so they, got the, they gathered the people together and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah. Man, they went right to it. The Christ. The promised Messiah that you've been waiting for since Genesis. Since the fall of man. Since God promised to the woman that the seed of the woman would destroy the seed of the serpent, of the devil. Since then, every woman wondered if she would be the one who would give birth to the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince. And now, they're kind of flipping about it. Uh, hey, where's, where, where's the Messiah guy supposed to be born? Oh, Bethlehem. Because the scripture says in Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Actually, Micah 5.2 says more than that. In Micah 5.2, it goes on to tell us, But but you, Bethlehem, Ipaphrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel. Whose going forth is from of old, from everlasting. The Messiah who was to be born in Bethlehem is eternal. 
He is from of old. That phrase in Hebrew means he goes beyond the vanishing point. That means as far back as you can go and then further, infinitely beyond. It's only, that phrase is only used of Almighty God. So he says, hey, this one who's to be born, he's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. Micah goes on to tell him, it's God incarnate in the flesh. So then, Scripture lays out for us in verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So you guys believe him? Yeah, knowing anything about Herod, yeah, no, that's not what he's going to do. Most of us know the story. That's not what he's going to do. That's not what his heart is. But the wise men leave. When they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the baby, young child was. Young child. Most of our nativities get it wrong, right? We got the three wise men coming right after the, the shepherds to the baby child there in the cave stable where he was born. But you see, by the time the wise man found him, the, the child was old. Most uh, commentators lay out that he was probably between six months and 18 months. As old as a year and a half. I've heard as old as two in some cases. Nobody's really sure, but that's, that phrase, young child, would, would indicate that. And they come to this, this place, and it's not a cave stable anymore, right? Jesus isn't still in the manger. They come to a house. They come to a house, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, he's not in the stable, now he's in a home. The young child, Mary, his mother, Joseph is out working someplace when the Magi find his place. What's interesting is they followed the star, right? Seen very many stars like that you could follow? I mean, I understand that, that in the ocean we can, we can navigate by the stars. I get that, but that's not what they're talking about. When's the last time a star took you to a house? When's the last time it led you from Persia or Babylon to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem to the house? But you know what it reminds me of? In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, you remember what led them? A pillar of fire and a cloud. The Shekinah. Shekinah glory of God. The star, everybody's got ideas about what the star is. Why does the star have to be a star? star was a light. A light in the sky that moved. And I have no problem believing the glory of God in the heavens over wherever the Christ child was. I have no problem with that. They recognized it. But isn't it interesting that the king and the chief priests and the scribes who live five miles from where Jesus was born couldn't be bothered to go check it out. Five miles away. You can see Bethlehem from Jerusalem. And the great thing is, Jerusalem's on a hill, so Bethlehem is downhill. You don't even have to walk uphill. You remember the stories your dad used to tell you about how hard life was when he was young? And he went to school barefoot over shards of glass in the snow, uphill both ways, right? Come on, I got kids too. I told them all that story. They could have easily went, but you see, they didn't care at all. They didn't care who Jesus was. Whether he was the Messiah, whether he had really been born, whether the scriptures were true, they didn't care. It didn't matter to them. There wasn't room in their world for him. King Herod, at least King Herod hated him. Hated him without a cause, but isn't that the way we see? Folks, there's three examples here, right? You got the wise men through or for whom traveling across Hundreds of miles just for an opportunity to worship Jesus was, was everything they, they, they wanted to do. Then you have King Herod who just hated him. 
And then you have the chief priests and the scribes who couldn't care less. Still that way today. There's a good many people who, for whom Jesus, I mean, you could ask the scribes and Pharisees, where is he supposed to be born? They knew in Bethlehem. And they knew there was a star. And they knew the kingmakers had come from hundreds of miles with an opportunity to worship at Messiah's feet. And yet they, they didn't care at all. It didn't matter. We have those same opportunities Today, how are we going to receive Jesus? What's our heart going to be toward him? Like the wise men? Would you walk uphill both ways for Jesus? If he called you and said to lay down your nets and come and follow me, could you lay down your nets and turn and follow him? Because if not, There's some serious questions you need to ask yourself. Am I truly his? It's not enough to know Jesus exists. The demons know that. But it's something altogether different, isn't it? To be those who say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, Scripture goes on to tell us what they did when they got to the house. Look what it says. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. I wonder what that was like for Mary. And it wouldn't shock her because she knows that this is a Christ child. The, the angel had come to her and said, You're going to give birth to the Messiah, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, God in the flesh. So she understands that worship. But you know what else you see? This whole verse goes against tradition. When you come walking into a house, especially in the Middle East, you didn't start by acknowledging the child. You would start by acknowledging mom, dad, then the child. But that's not what they were there for, right? Straight to the child. This is the one. This is the child. They saw the young child and Mary and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's pretty neat. I don't, I don't know that the Magi had any idea what they were given. I think they were just given the best they had to give. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of those were, were extremely valuable. Gold, obviously. Frankincense as an incense. And myrrh as an embalming fluid. Kind of a strange thing to give a baby, isn't it? They came and gave him gold, because gold is a traditional gift for a king. They gave him frankincense, because frankincense is that traditional gift for a priest. And then they gave him an embalming fluid, myrrh, that is made by crushing a plant and applied to the body to cover the scent of decomposition. As the body sets in the tomb. They gave him a gift for a king. They gave him a gift for a priest. And they gave him a gift for the dead. And who was Jesus? He was king of kings. He is our high priest. Hebrews tells us. And he died for you and I. But even more than that. What else can gold speak of? Gold can speak of virtue. The virtue of Jesus Christ is perfect, sinless life. And frankincense speaks of prayer. It was what was offered at the golden altar, and the smoke would ascend into the heavens, just like our prayers going up before God. So we have his virtuous life. We have a life dedicated to prayer. Didn't Jesus go and spend time with his father in prayer every single day? Every single morning in ministry, while he started his ministry, he goes to the Father in prayer. And myrrh speaks of suffering. Now, in you and I, when we consider this, what am I? Am I, am I like the three wise men? Am I willing to leave whatever and follow Jesus? Am I, am I like the chief priest? I know who Jesus is, but I, I don't really care. Am I like Herod? I hate him. But understand this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
Don't expect different gifts. Gold, that your life would be virtuous. For God says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. That perfection comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in him. He makes me right. I cannot make myself right with God. But Jesus can. So I can attribute his virtue to me. The, the next of frankincense. Is our life a life of prayer? Or does prayer bug us? I mean, it's honest, honest guys, in every single church it's this way. The prayer meeting is the smallest meeting of the entire week. But we have an opportunity to enter into the throne room of Almighty God. We don't have to go through anyone or around anyone. We just get to come to the Lord and we just get to to lay our request before Him. and, And He wants to spend that time in communion with us. Will our lives be a life of prayer? Because when Jesus said, if you will come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. That means you're going to walk like he walked. You're going to walk in the virtue or the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're going to, you're going to choose to be on, uh, accounted among him rather than anything else. You're going to have a life dedicated to prayer because Jesus had a life dedicated to prayer, right? Prayer's not hard, guys. We can pray anytime. We don't have to go somewhere special. You can even pray while you're driving. You don't have to close your eyes. You can keep your eyes open and pray. It's okay. It's probably better if you do. Although I have met a few people since I've been in Idaho that they can drive with their eyes closed. It won't make any difference at all. It doesn't matter how loud your motorcycle is. They cannot hear you. They'll just drive right over top of you and crush all your dreams. <laughs> I digress. <clears throat> the other thing that we see in the gift is we shouldn't expect that in our life there will be it will be without suffering. There's going to be suffering in our life. We need to remember that here we are in enemy territory, right? I'm not I'm not living for this place. I love this place. I was telling somebody the other day, Kathy and I, when we used to sit around in California and dream about the perfect place to be, it would be right here where we are, Buell, Idaho. I love it here. I wake up every morning and I am stoked because it's green. I used to live in brown. <laughs> it's green. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to be in this place. And the place that God has us. But even in that, I want to realize, even in that, even in being in, in, in a great place, even in God moving in mighty ways and God doing incredible things, there will be suffering. Jesus told us, didn't he? He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's going to be suffering, just like there was suffering for Jesus Christ. So when we follow him, understand, we're not following him because our life is going to be covered with rose petals. And you're never going to have trouble, and you're never going to lose your job, and you're never going to struggle, and you're never going to be short money, and you're never going to have any issues in your life. You're never going to have to deal with sickness or, or with any of that stuff. Because that's not true. We live in enemy territory. But one day, Jesus will come again. He promised. God don't break promises. He'll come. And he'll receive us unto himself. And then, where he is, there we will be also for all time. Who do we want to be? We follow Jesus, these same gifts are lying on the table for us. Virtue, prayer, and suffering. Well, it goes on in verse 12 and says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child, his mother, by night and departed for Egypt. I love Joseph. Because when God tells Joseph something... He just does it. He didn't wait for the morning. He goes to bed at night. He has a dream. The Lord says in a dream, Herod's going to try to destroy the child. Go to Egypt. He just gets up. Grabs Mary, the child, and goes. And isn't it amazing how God provided for them anything that would be necessary for their traveling in three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? So they're able to make the trip, and they go to Egypt. They're gone. And it says, And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew's the one who first tells us that when we can look at prophecies and understand that there are dual fulfillments. Because in Hosea... 11.1, where this prophecy comes from, God is speaking of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt to become a nation. But then Matthew, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, says that also applies to Jesus Christ coming out of Egypt. That there can be dual fulfillments, a near and a far fulfillment, that things can be pictures, that things can be types, that we can see those things in Scripture. But it says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. What a shock for Herod to be upset. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So he determined from the wise men that, that the Christ child must be somewhere between two years old and, and an infant. And he decides to kill all the male children. Now... A lot of people say, well, when we look at history, we don't see anything like this. I mean, you would think that this would be something that would be written about. Remember who you're talking about. Herod. Killed his wife, killed his kids, killed everybody, killed whoever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to kill him. In fact, when he was dying, just so that people would mourn his death, he had all the great men of Jerusalem arrested with orders that upon his death, they were to kill them all so that people would mourn the day that Herod died. That's the kind of guy he was. The other thing you want to keep in mind, Bethlehem's a small place. So most people put the number somewhere around 20 babies. Not that 20 babies isn't one baby's too many. But it's easy to see in the monster who Herod was, while that would have been not as big a deal as all the other things that Herod had done, all the other ways that Herod had had abused his people. But it's funny because in the book of Luke, it tells us that Herod died being eaten by worms from the inside. Do you know how Herod died? Being eaten by worms from the inside. <laughs> I guess God knew what was going on. That's what history tells us. Scripture goes on and says in verse 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. If you consider Ramah to be like the county in which Bethlehem resided, and Rachel being a symbol throughout the Old Testament of Jewish mothers, Rachel's great desire was to have a child, right? And, and uh, she does, ultimately, but she becomes a picture uh, not only that, also her burial place being there in Bethlehem. Well, as we, as we look at this, we see again a dual fulfillment. Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapter 31, they really wept and cried as their children were killed by the Babylonians when they went into captivity. But Matthew says here, guided by the Holy Spirit, that this also was looking at what Herod was going to do. What he was going to do to these kids. Verse 19, it says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Arise, 
Take the young child, his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. So he arose, took the young child, his mother, and came into the land of Israel. He did it again. Every time you see God telling Joseph something, you know what you see immediately afterward? He got up and did it. He got up and did it. Why? Because serving the Lord, doing what God had called him to do, was a priority in his life. It was such a priority in his life that it actually overshadowed the other things. It didn't say he woke up and gave two weeks notice, although that wasn't necessarily the custom. He probably had his own business at the time. We know he was a carpenter. He, he, he probably just got up, closed the door, put clothes on it. I don't know how much he packed, how much he took. Gathered together the, the child and his wife, and they left. Right now. No arguing, no worrying, no. He took what God told him to do, and he did it. You know, God's still looking for people like that today. People through whom he can speak by the Holy Spirit and say, Hey, I've got something for you. I know there are people there this morning that God spoke to your heart and said, Hey, BBS, that, that could kind of be a fun thing. Man, maybe, maybe I should get involved. And some will talk themselves out of it. No, no, no. But others, they'll just stay. God's telling me to go. I'm going to go. Some have heard the call of God saying, you know, I'm going to be a part of paint magic. I feel God stirring in my heart. I should be a part of that. Some people hear, I need to be a part of the prayer ministry at, at, at uh, Calvary Chapel Buell. Others hear, I, I need to be a part of Celebrate Recovery. I need to be, there are folks, there are something going on every day of the week. You want something to do for the Lord? There's something going on every single day of the week. Opportunities for service. To be a Joseph and say, I'm going to get up and do what God calls me to do. It says in verse 22, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Archelaus, you see, the whole region that Herod ruled over was divided among his three sons. One of them was Archelaus, and he was the most like Herod. He was kind of a knucklehead. So he decides, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to go and be around another guy like Herod was. So... Being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, just one small problem about that. It's just a little thing, really. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he was supposed to be called a Nazarene. But if we take a look at that verse and we read it carefully, you know what it says. It says, it was spoken by the prophets, plural, that. This is Matthew's interpretation looking at all the prophecies of what Jesus would be like. And here's really what Nazareth was. You guys want to know what Nazareth was? Nazareth was just a little bitty town. In all the world, all this crazy stuff was going on, but Nazareth is just a little place. And most people looked at Nazareth like it was backward. Just, they're just backward country people there. You know, there's nothing really good can come out of Nazareth, can it? I mean, if, if something's got to be good, it's got to come out of somewhere else. Because that's just podunk. It's just little. Hazy. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to throw Castleford out there. Hey, I'm moving out there. <laughs> so as we take a look at it that's what nazareth was so what does it mean what does it mean well there's a couple of scriptures a couple of prophecies that that say that he was called to be the branch the branch is nazar which is close to the root that comes to nazarene but i think even more importantly the scripture lays out throughout that jesus was going to be no respecter of person that he was going to go to the jew first that he was going to go to the poor. That he was going to go to the sinners. Because the ones who think they're okay, they don't know they need help. He was going to go to the sick. Because if you don't think you're sick, you don't want a healer, do you? I'm okay. So Jesus grew up in a place called Nazareth. 
And nobody cared about it. If you were looking for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you'd look for him in Jerusalem. Or, or maybe you'd look for him in Rome. Or maybe you'd look for him in, in some great city, in Athens, in, in Greece, somewhere important. But he grew up in Nazareth among normal people, common people, poor people. He grew up among thieves and liars. He grew up among sinners and the sick. He grew up with the real, not with the fake. That's why the prophet, the prophets together said he's going to come out of a place like Nazareth. Little place. A place maybe not everybody is, is excited about. A place that everybody doesn't love. But there's always some city or village or another whose inhabitants seem to be the butt of every joke. The object of scorn. The people of such places are thought to be low, uncultured, not very smart. That is the kind of place Nazareth was. And that's the kind of place God sent His Son to be called a Nazarene. Folks, when I look at the life of Jesus, and I look at the the opportunities that we have to decide, how are we going to follow Him? Are we like those, those people I read about in the beginning? Is that your Jesus? Or is your Jesus who He really said He was? Son of God who came to die for our sins, rose again for our justification, set us free and is coming again to take us home. Which one's your Jesus? Jesus was willing to leave all the splendor of heaven to come here, to live in a dirty place like Nazareth, to grow up only to be killed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was willing to do all that, the scripture says, for the joy set before him. You are that joy. Then Jesus said, will you follow me the same way? Will you turn your back on on your own desires? Or will you cling to your rights? I have a right to feel this way. Yeah, Jesus had a right to stay in heaven. But he left his right and he came for our wrongs. And he wants to know. What do you value in your life above him? What do you say? This is more important to me than him. If there's nothing, praise God. Man, be like those wise men. Only follow him and know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed into his death. Know the love of Christ. The height, breadth, width, and depth. But if there's something in your life right now that you say, you know what, this is more important to me than Jesus is. And you have to ask yourself, isn't that how the chief priests were? The chief priest said, well, yeah, I know about Jesus, but I kind of got a good gig going on here. You know, Herod takes care of me, making a lot of money, taking care of business. Later on, I'll come after the Christ. For the wise men, they wanted to worship him the minute they saw him. We have to decide. Where are we in the story? And then, where do you want to be? All it requires for us is just simply making that choice. To call upon the Lord and say, God, that's how I want to love you. That's the relationship I want to have. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you, Lord. We thank you for the truth, Lord Jesus, that you left the splendor of heaven to come and dwell among us in all this garbage just so that you would die 
be separated from your father for the first time in eternity. And you did it all because you love us and want a relationship with us. Then how can I look to you and say, I love this sin so much I won't let it go. How can I look to you and say, I love this job, or I love this house, or I love this car, or I love this Harley (laughs) more than I love you. Like Paul, I would say I would gladly suffer the loss of all things for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's all yours. Every last rotten inch of me. It's all yours. God, I pray that as we're in this place this morning, we would choose to be wholly devoted to you. That we would hold nothing back. And that you would work your perfect work, your perfect work of revival in each of our hearts. And that that fire would catch, burn, and spread. Lord, we seek to honor you in all we do and in all we say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a word of worship. We want to invite you guys to hang out and worship with us. We got a time of fellowship out in the foyer. Don't forget about the VBS meeting and all the stuff going on with women's ministry. Look for Kathy and Marie out there and they'll answer your questions. God bless you guys and go in peace. we look at your only son Lord, the child Christ Emmanuel, God with us